This week on Moms Moving On. You know what? Like I always say at the beginning of every season of couples therapy, not every relationship is meant to be saved. And sometimes the best choice is to walk away and to ideally to do so in a way that gives respect to the history that you shared with that person. And if you have children, that helps them through what is a painful and difficult process with as much love and care and guidance as possible. And also for people who are single, who are going, why have my relationships not worked? Or how do I have a better, healthier relationship next time around? When we have a culture of appreciation in our relationship, when we communicate well, when we acknowledge our partner's strengths, all that sort of stuff, things do tend to change. Life moves on, so why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. We're back with another Moms Moving On, and I have like chills up my spine because I've been so excited for this particular episode for so long. It's one of those things that you know will eventually happen, but until it happens, you're like holding your breath. So I feel so lucky to have today's guest here with me. We have Dr. Jen Mann. And if you recognize that name, it's probably from Instagram, or maybe if you watch VH1, she's one of the most well-known psychotherapists in the country, most known as the host and therapist for VH1's long-standing hit show, Couple Therapy with Dr. Jen and Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. She has appeared as a guest expert on hundreds of other shows, including The Today Show, The Early Show, Dr. Oz, Wendy Williams, The Doctors, The Maury Show, Steve Harvey, Access Hollywood, The Insider, and Jimmy Kimmel Live. She has a weekly column in InStyle Magazine called Hump Day with Dr. Jen, where she gives sex and relationship advice. And she's really here today because I want to talk about one of her best-selling books, The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy. I am so excited excited to dig into all of that. But first, let me say a big hello and thank you to you, Dr. Jen. Oh, it is my pleasure. You know, I just absolutely love your Instagram and you and I have connected and and I love your message. I think it's really wonderfully empowering for women, for people going through divorces, for people who are questioning their relationship. And as, as my friend Robin Sachs says, for the divorce curious. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many divorce curious out there. It's wild. My DMs are always like, Oh God, you make me wish I were divorced. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. It's it's not all that glamorous. Trust me. But but it's also not a great sign in your relationship. If you're looking at someone and going, wow, I really wish I were divorced. (laughs) You know, it's funny that you say that though. I had that moment in the last, that, that space, probably the last six months of my marriage, I was very good friends with somebody who was already out of a marriage and like living her best single life. And I'm like, God, I want this. And that's when I knew for me that it was probably over, but you're helping people not end things. Well, I'm, I'm helping people on all ends of the spectrum. Look, I'm helping people who are in relationships that are struggling to help to ideally heal their relationship. I'm also helping people who realize that, you know what, like I always say at the beginning of every season of couples therapy, not every relationship is meant to be saved. And sometimes the best choice is to walk away and to ideally to do so in a way that gives respect to the history that you shared with that person. And if you have children that helps them through what is a painful and difficult process with as much love and care and guidance as possible. And also 
for people who are single who are going, why have my relationships not worked? Or how do I have a better, healthier relationship next time around? So I really tried to include everything in this book so that people, wherever they are in their relationship world, could be helped. You know, I always give the advice when when I have a consultation with a new client who is wanting to end her marriage and needs a little guidance, I say, have you been to therapy together? And she'll yeah. say, no, I don't even want to ask because I know he'll say no. And I'm like, do me a favor, ask him, focus on getting there, come back to me in six months because I believe so much in the power of at least trying as difficult Absolutely. as it might be for so many men to get on your couch. Yeah. I think and, it's and look, First of all, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I think that it's important if you're going to leave a marriage that you do so knowing that you have done absolutely everything possible to try to make it work before you leave. It will help you sleep at night. It will help you have conversations if you have children with your kids now and many years later. And not to mention, whatever tools you learn in therapy, even if the marriage doesn't work, you still are going to have to communicate with the person if you have kids, if you have anything that you share, whether it's a dog or you know, a, a, a friend, you're going to have to deal with that person. So you might as well learn the tools and you might as well kind of pave the way for a smoother transition. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm wondering what, what it's like for you on the other side, right? Because I've only been on one side of the couch um, or Zoom for that matter. What is it like for you when you do have one of the two in the couple that is so resistant to therapy. Like, how does that work? Because I know a lot of women will have that question. Well, I think that a lot of the time, the person that's resistant tends to be the man. And I I hate to stereotype him when we're talking about, you know, heterosexual relationships, that tends to be more the pattern. That said, I've had plenty of men who have dragged their wives in kicking and screaming, but more <laughs> often it is the man in the relationship who's resistant. And typically it's it's tougher for men to do that for a few reasons. One is that the gender studies show that talking and talking feelings in particular tends to be a little more, it's kind of like asking someone to come in and learn a foreign language that is unfamiliar. Not to mention that a lot of the time when the therapist is female, the man will assume that there's a gender bias and like, oh, they're going to gang up on me. It It also can be particularly difficult if one person has done, regardless of gender, one person has done something that's the more blatant kind of crime against the relationship, right? right. Let's say someone, one person has cheated. And what I always say in a relationship, and look, cheating is unacceptable. It's incredibly painful. It is a, a knife in the heart of the other person. And cheating typically does not occur in a vacuum. Right. And it's important that the therapist look at what was it about the nature of this relationship and the dynamics of this, that this occurred. So a lot of the time, a person who has done something like that doesn't realize going in, they're just like, oh, I'm going to be beaten up for this terrible thing that I did, as opposed to this therapist is going to help me figure out why I did this and what we can do to help our relationship and make it a better place so that this does not occur again. I love that. I think, you know, you're, you're so right. And I also hate to say it about men not wanting to go, but I do hear from my clients like, oh, he'll never go. Or he says he's going to go and he doesn't show up. Is it possible to work with one of the two if the, if one is being so resistant? 
you, if both people are in the room and one person's resistant, yes. Because if they've shown up, it says something. And, and also one of the things, one of the ways to help get a partner in is to talk about it differently. Instead of saying, we need to go to therapy, you suck, and you need to figure out how to be a better right. spouse to say, look, we are struggling. It pains me. I would like to be a better wife to you. I don't know how. I've, I'm in a lot of pain, and I feel like I don't like the way I'm behaving. And if we sit down with someone, with a professional, you know, I would, at the very least, maybe I could work on my stuff so that I could be a better partner to you. Mm-hmm. That that's a good way to bring it in. That way, the focus is not on the other person, and it's on more of a positive of, I want to make our relationship better, right. and I'm not bringing you in to beat you up and tell you how bad you are. And then, hopefully, you're with a professional who can help kind of keep it as balanced as possible. I, lo- I think that's a really great tactic. I'm always talking about you know taking the blame out of conversations, because if you lead yeah. with you're the worst and here's what we need to do. You're not going to get to fix you. Over. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, right. And, and also to answer your question about, can you work with when one person's really resistant? You know, when I first started touring to talk about my book, the one of the first questions I got, and I'll never forget was a woman who raised her hand. She said, you know, if my husband doesn't want to read this book, can this still help my marriage? And the answer is yes. And it's the same thing with therapy because a few things, one, we all occur, this occurs in a system. And when one person changes the system, the system changes. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, there are limits. If the other person is totally resistant to change and is unwilling to do anything differently, you're fucked. Nothing's going to change. But you'd be really surprised at how often it happens that one person's change in their tools, their communication, the way they make their partner feel, how that can inspire the other person to do things differently. Because when we have a culture of appreciation in our relationship, when we communicate well, when we acknowledge our partner's strengths, all that sort of stuff, things do tend to change. Yeah. I mean, I can think of it in in an example for myself. I tend to have a strong personality and my husband now, if you know, there's a way in which I need to present him information in order to have a constructive conversation. And for a while, when these conversations weren't constructive, it's like, well, why aren't you hearing me? It, it was more in, on me to need to change. I didn't have to change how he was hearing it. I had to change how I was delivering it. So that's a great point you make. hundred percent. Yeah. And I have a very similar partner that if I'm super aggressive about my approach when I'm talking to him, he, he kind of recoils, but if I'm able to say the same thing from a more gentle place, then, you know, it really works. I have a client who I talk a lot about a couple that I'm working with that I talk about the football energy and Fabergé egg energy. And like that, she's like, I would like to be treated like a Fabergé egg. I would like to be treated delicately. I'd like to be nurtured. I'd like to not be like manhandled, like great. But then you also got to kind of give that energy. And a lot of the time with her partner, she's kind of that football energy. And it's like, she's lobbing the football at him. He's like, whoa, like ducking. And then he kind of gets aggressive back. And we tend to kind of play off the energy of our partner. So it's important to be aware of that energy. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is where the relationship fix comes into play because you're improving communication, which in turn leads to better connection and intimacy. So give us like, 
the, I don't know, the rundown on improved communication, I guess, knowing how to approach your partner. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, what I did with the relationship fix is, is I broke it down into six different chapters and all six of those chapters will help you with your communication, they'll help you with your relationship. And I really looked at over, you know, I've been doing this for almost 30 years, being a therapist, both in my private practice, on TV, on the radio. And I really looked at what are the most common relationship issues and broke it down into the things that people typically need to work on. And, you know, they are communication, fighting fairly, negotiation, working through our childhood issues, forgiveness and making amends and sex, how to reignite a sex life. And in the communication chapter, I talk a lot about sort of how we need to communicate with our partner and also that the foundation of our relationship is that connection, that having a bond and a connection. What's interesting is that there was a study that came out by a guy named M. Gary Newman. And he did the largest, longest study of cheaters. He did one study of male cheaters and one study of female cheaters. And what he found was quite shocking. And, you know, we tend to think of like, oh, someone who cheats is just this kind of pants dropping horn dog who's doing this. Or, oh, she's just, you know, having she's fucking for revenge or whatever it is, whatever the stereotype is. But what he found was really different. What he found was that the number one reason is, in fact, 92% of the time for women and 93% of the time for men, the number one reason why people cheated is because of a lack of emotional connection in the relationship or a combination of a lack of emotional and sexual connection in the relationship. So to me, what that really speaks to is nurturing the connection in the relationship is really the number one most important thing that we can do in order to a, prevent cheating, but B, to have a solid relationship. Because without that, you can communicate as well as you want. But if you're not really talking to each other, if you're two ships passing in the night, it won't matter. Right. We need that bond to be present. And I think we tend to take that bond for granted, especially when we live busy lives. Right. No, it's so true. Taking that time. I know for you know being remarried, both my husband and I having been divorced, it's we're constantly checking in on each other sometimes to the point where I'm like, okay, stop. And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm, you know, but we, yeah. we do make it a point like phones down, remotes down, like to sit and yep. chat at the end of each night. And sometimes in the beginning, it felt a little bit forced to me. And now it's like, A, because I never did that before. I wasn't communicating the right way, but I so see the value in just those few moments of connection can take you to a completely different place in your mind. And eye contact. Mm -hmm. I think eye contact is taken for granted in this day and age that sitting and talking for 20 minutes, which by the way, I recommend all couples sit and talk for a minimum of 20, ideally 30 minutes together without screens, just giving each other full attention. And, And the studies actually show that that's kind of the magical number that helps relationships in terms of that connection, that bond in terms of cheating prevention. But a lot of couples will be like, oh yeah, no, we spend a lot of time together, but it's this, Mm -hmm. you know, that that your partner seeing the top of your head, not your face and not making eye contact, giving eye contact. It shows respect. It shows investment in the relationship and it's connection. And not to mention that it really sparks things in our brains that actually nurture that connection. I love that. That's so great. 
Hey guys, Michelle here with a word from one of our sponsors. The Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, thanks to Soberlink's wireless technology, which delivers test results by text message or email to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Flexible schedules combined with real-time delivery of results make Soberlink the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology. For a limited time, get $50 off your device by emailing info at Soberlink.com and mentioning Moms Moving On. Drive safe. Wait, 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 wait. Before we do anything, I have to ask, have you not joined the Moms Moving On membership community yet? This is the place I created for anybody looking for the benefits of coaching without having to commit to a high coaching fee. I've rounded up my go-to experts to put together curated content just for you, including free monthly webinars with me, self-confidence boosters, co-parenting tips and strategies, heartbreak advice, divorce anxiety relief, legal advice from top U.S. attorneys and mediators, financial advice, ebooks to help you on your journey, journal prompts and worksheets, discounts for all my favorite brands. The list goes on and on and on. And all of this at only $9.99 a month. Yep, you heard that right. $9.99 a month to be connected to women all over the world who are going through exactly what you're going through and to connect with me. Go to momsmovingon.com slash become a member and join us today. So I'm wondering, because most times I hear, you know, there is no more sex. There's no more intimacy. The communication was the first to go. Then we started living two separate lives and now we're completely not intimate. But in some cases I hear, I mean, our sex is great, but like we have nothing else in common. Can you work backwards from that? Absolutely. Look, if if you're someone who is still having the sex, but you're kind of not as connected in in a lot of ways, that's easier because it can be the glue that keeps you together, that you have this person who really knows your body so well and gives you pleasure in some way. Because look, part of this is giving each other pleasure, whether it is emotionally in that bond, in the conversation, in shared activities, in sex. So yeah, absolutely. You can work either way, but typically it tends to be more the first thing of, you know, the communication sucks with two ships passing a night. Yeah. We don't have sex anymore. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, I can relate and I know most people can, but I'm wondering, you know, we are in a society where, look, yes, divorce is my career. I'm talking about how you can move on confidently after divorce, but it doesn't have to be the go-to thing for everybody. So if you can work on those things with a professional who can help you through those parts that you think will never get past this, I mean, it's so worth it to try. I, I, I remember <laughs> being desperate to go to counseling, couples counseling, and being so happy that I did. Yeah. Yeah, look, it makes a huge difference in most people individually and in the couple. And again, if you if it's not going to work out, having the tools and the communication and the awareness of your patterns together as a couple is always a good thing. 
having somebody tell you what your patterns are, because like you said, when you get so into the day-to-day, you don't see it, you don't know it. And you're also probably not aware of your past shit that you brought into this relationship. A hundred percent. You know, look, every season on couples therapy, we do a couples group therapy session that we call, me and the producers called childhood trauma. I'm very into this because this plays a big role in my life. So go for it. And it, it, it is every year, it is the most intense, significant, life changing session that we do. And that, you know, typically, you know, you only see on the show like six minutes of it, but typically it runs about six hours. Like it, it's, it is super, super intense. And one of the reasons why it is so incredibly effective is that it helps to connect the dots for most people and and about their partners of, oh, you went through this trauma in childhood. That's why you act this way with me. Oh, I thought it was all about me. Now I don't have to take it quite as personally. Now I realize you're getting triggered from from this thing from your past or you're triggering me. And that's why I'm behaving the way I am. I had no idea. Those triggers. I mean, you see, I always talk about knowing your triggers and yeah, everything I post is because of like the, my mistakes that I've made and and have learned the hard way that sometimes you are going to be in a relationship that triggers everything. And I really believe it's a means for you to learn what you need to heal. And it's not necessarily the other person's fault. A hundred percent. And look, what, what, what we know about psychology, and there's a form of psychology called Imago therapy that was created by Harville Hendricks and, and his, his wife, who is absolutely amazing. And, you know, what they say is that we tend to pick a partner who is like our parents. And if you sit down and you make a list of each of your parents and what are their positive traits and what are their negative traits, and then your partner, what are their positive traits and what are their negative traits, you're going to see a lot of overlap. And granted, there's some people who are like, I went and I seeked out someone who's the opposite of my parents. That happens. But typically, we tend to pick what is familiar. And what happens is in the honeymoon period, which is the generally the first 18 months, give or take six months, all we see is the positive. And we it feels familiar. It feels exciting. Oh my God, you like pizza. I like pizza too. We have so much in common. How could two people like us find each other? We're so amazing. This is so unique and so special. But then what happens is after that, 18 months or so, give or take, the endorphins aren't flowing as heavy. The serotonin starts kind of petering down and you get into what I call the negotiation stage of the relationship where you have to figure out who am I really with? How do we work through conflict? How do we handle anger in our relationship? How do we handle all these things? Which is, by the way, why I have a whole chapter of my book all about negotiation. Do you? It, it is a really significant time in the relationship that helps define it. And even if you're many years later, you can still go back and learn the skills and, and learn them differently and have different techniques and do it better. But most people don't realize that that tends to be what happens. Wow. Oh my goodness. I love you. You are very wise, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. This must be why, you know, you are the go-to, but it's, there's so much that I have learned in this space that, you know, it's almost like I wish I knew in my marriage, but too little too yeah. late. And now I can apply moving forward. But the childhood stuff, you know, I don't know if it was just, 
because we weren't in a time of like self-exploration like we are now, but I mean, nobody dragged me to therapy. My parents were divorced. And not only that, the divorce took 10 years. It involved guardians and police officers. And it was, it was just, and I, and I was just there a little kid in the middle, nobody kind of paying attention to my mom's amazing, but it wasn't like, Oh, let's really explore what those sentiments mean on a deeper level. Unless unless your parents had therapy in that generation was far less likely to have therapy than our generation or our children's generation, then you probably didn't get that. And and by the way, I want to add one other thing is that once you get to that negotiation stage, what tends to happen is all of the negative traits of your parents, you start to see in your partner without necessarily making the correlation. And what happens is that, like you mentioned before, our old wounds get triggered. Because let's say, for example, let's say you had a workaholic father who was never around and you felt neglected. Children are egocentric. Children tend to think that whatever happens in the family is about them. Mm -hmm. So if dad is not around, I must not be lovable. I must not be a good enough kid. I must not be fill in the blank. We tend to internalize that and take that with us for years to come and bring it into our future relationships. Then what happens is our unconscious doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future, but it's always trying to heal old wounds in current time. So you're likely to find someone who brings up the same feelings that came up with your dad. Maybe he's not a workaholic. Maybe he's an alcoholic. Maybe he gambles. Maybe he is a sex addict. Maybe he is just emotionally unavailable. And what happens is our unconscious mind goes, if I can just change this person, it will mean that dad was wrong about me and I really am lovable. Oh my God. So so we seek out that person and then typically it doesn't work out that way. Because that person isn't ready to give up whatever their ism is or whatever it is that triggers us. And then we feel terrible. And the wound that happens is doubly powerful because it's really about the original wound. And now it's also about this current wound. But it's been triggered from our past. Now, in those cases, would the advice be to like go fix yourself and then work on the relationship? Or is this just like not a good match? Ideally, we fix ourselves and then we go into the relationship and then we make a conscious choice not to pick people that trigger that particular old wound. But typically, we tend to have some kind of overlap because we seek what is familiar to us. Yes. And a lot of the time, it's unconscious. That, and you even, know, if it's, to- even if the ugliest of ugly is, is familiar, it's amazing yep. how we can wind up back, you know, and I remember in, in my first marriage, just thinking like how, and my mom one day looked at me and was like, how are we like rewriting history? Like how is, how is this history repeating itself? And I'm like, oh yeah, look, there's a multi-generational transmission process Mm -hmm. where we tend to repeat things, even if we don't know. And and if, if, if you've ever seen the first season of family therapy that I did it, the perfect example was Brittany and Brianna, these two sisters who came in and um, one of them had picked a partner, a boyfriend that was verbally abusive, was physically like bordering on physically abusive and unbeknownst to her, 
the man who she thought was her father was not her biological father. Her mom came in for a session and in the session, what came out was that her biological father, who was there for the first like year and a half of her life, was physically and emotionally abusive to the mom. She had no idea that she picked someone who, as the mom described, was almost identical to how she had described the boyfriend that she left. It was almost identical. And she didn't even know it existed. That's so and It just really speaks to there is an unconscious process that occurs in families where there is family pain and patterns that gets passed down over and over again. And it's important to be the person who breaks that pattern. Absolutely. I'm that, I mean, that's my thing right now. I feel like we're in this age of everyone, you know, in, in our generation who is coming out of a marriage is saying, okay, it all makes sense why I was in this marriage. It all makes sense why I had to leave. And here's how I'm not going to repeat this or let my children repeat it. And I think it's such an empowering place to be in, but I guess back to therapy. So when is it time and how often are you telling couples, you know what, this isn't going to work? Like, like, what is, what is, what is the, I don't know, is there an average how many times or, or what is the obvious marker in a relationship for you that says to you, this is past fixing? It, look, it's very unusual for me to say, I have said it plenty of times, but things have to be so, so bad. I mean, look, there are certain things that um, to me just can't be worked past physical violence in, in a relationship. Once, once that door has been opened, you are always worried it's going to happen again and you can never fully speak honestly because you're worried that that other person is going to hurt you physically mm-hmm. and that's no way to live. And they, they say in um, look, my original training before I even became a therapist, I worked for the Los Angeles Commission on Assaults Against Women as a rape and domestic violence counselor. And during our training, what they always said to us is you can't do couples therapy with a uh, couple where there is violence because ultimately if someone speaks honestly, they go home and they may get beaten. And so there, it really isn't a safe thing to do. And once that door has been open, it's very hard to go back. And tell me cheating, how, how easy or hard is it to overcome that? Because I would imagine just like you're always worried about the physical violence, can you ever really lay your head down at night knowing this person won't make that mistake again? It, it is very possible. I have seen it many, many, many times in my practice where people have taken the dagger out of their heart and managed to move forward. But the only way to do that is to be able to do really deep and oftentimes long-term therapy to be able to process why the cheating occurred, process the pain of the person who's been cheated on, to really get to the place where you can sit in the room and do the kind of work that needs to be done to heal it and to move forward and make it less likely to happen again. And it takes a lot to be able to do that kind of work. Yeah. I imagine it's, it's really making a choice to say, I'm going to see the best in you, not expect the worst from you. But to, do, to just do that would be to be blind. Right. And, and I would never encourage that. The only way to do it, and I talk in my chapter about forgiveness, I talk about how to make amends. And I, and I talk about the four things that you want to look for in, in an amends. The, the first is remorse, that the person truly deeply understands 
the pain that they've caused and that they that they are deeply sorry, that it's not just words. Because too often I see couples where one person's hurt the other and like, we're taught as kids to say you're sorry. And like with my children growing up, I never ever made them say, I'm sorry. I don't believe in that. If one of my daughters hurt the other daughter, I would say, why don't you ask her what you can do to help her? So to me, we have to be very careful that we're not just parroting words and not just when, uh, when a partner has harmed us and just saying like, I'm so sorry. Well, that's just words. Well, not as bad as I'm sorry you feel that way. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh, that's the worst, the worst. Yeah. But then the second thing is responsibility that they take responsibility, that they own what they have done, that it isn't just well, I did this because you did that, or, you know, it's not my fault because no, be able to, to own it and say what I, what I did was terrible. It, I should not have done that. I own that. I, that I did that, that that is an important part of it. And then the third thing is recognition and that's recognition of the pain that you have caused. And this is where a lot of couples go wrong. That, that one person will be like, well, I said I was sorry. I owned it. Like, why do we have to sit and talk about it again? Why like, is she bringing it up again? Right. Yeah, exactly. You need to be able to talk through it and hear about it until that other person feels some resolution. And a lot of the time it means that their words have landed with you, that they really feel like you understand the pain that they have experienced and that you really get it. That typically is kind of the marker that helps people to let go and move on. Like, oh, you really get it. Yeah. And and typically you need a therapist in the room to do that because most people can get kind of ugly and have conversations that are just not helpful. It, you know, if if it goes too long. Yeah, so I think being able to get people to go to that deep place is just something so fascinating and probably the reason why you have the reputation that you have that you're able to do it. You're literally doing the Lord's work. <laughs> Thank um, you. I'm, I actually would really love to dive into your book. I'm, I'm almost embarrassed. Yeah. Well, let me just say one other thing because the fourth thing, the fourth R is really important oh. and, that, and that is remedy. And that you actually make a plan that helps avoid the same problems again. And this is really one of the the areas where people tend to go wrong. That too often I will get a call on the radio or someone will write me and, and they'll say, you know, my partner cheated on me since we're using that as an example. And he apologized. He cried. He said, you know, I'll never do this again. And then came back. And now it's happened again. And my first question is, well, what was the plan that both of you made in order to prevent this from happening again? And the answer is almost always, we had no plan. And the plan can be, okay, I'm getting into therapy to discover why I sabotaged the relationship. The plan can be, I'm going to AA and I'm going to stop drinking because this only happens when I drink. The plan can be, I'm not going to do business travel without you by my side because that's where I get into trouble. It can be, you know, I'm going to anger management to work through my issues, but there needs to be a concrete plan in place. Otherwise, nothing changes. Wow. God, you're good. So it's hard work, Dr. Jenman. So couples therapy is on when? Um, well, it, right now you can just see it on Amazon, on Hulu. You can see the first six episodes, first six seasons, and same with family therapy. Awesome. And the book, obviously, I'm going to link 
because I'm excited to read it. I think everybody should read it. Even if you have made up your mind to divorce, that communication piece will help you so much as you move into co-parenting because honestly, it's more important to communicate well as a co-parent than anything else I've discovered because all you have is that communication piece. And, and it's also, it's harder. I often say to my clients who are working with an ex-spouse to co-parent, you couldn't control him or her when you were married. You're going to be able to control him or her even less now that you're divorced. So and it's very hard to come to terms with that. Oh, it's, it's a very bitter pill to swallow, especially <clears throat> when this person now has all of this time away from you with your kid. It's, yep. it's so important to learn the ins and outs of how to communicate with this type of person, because otherwise you're going to be fighting with yourself, essentially. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being here. I know there's probably a lot to unpack for our listeners who are going to want to reach out to you again. Where can they find you and get in touch with you? You can find me on social media, especially Instagram, but I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all of that stuff, even TikTok. Um, but I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Jen Man, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. I also have a weekly column in InStyle magazine called Hump Day with Dr. Jen. So cool. Comes out every Wednesday, all about relationships and all that sort of stuff. Uh, would you mind sending me one that I can feature? Because I think that's amazing. Absolutely. Would love to. Okay. Jen, thank you so much for being here. And to everybody listening, thank you. I can't wait for you to possibly get your hands on this book. I think it's going to be very, very transformative for you in whatever part of the process that you're in. As usual, thank you and keep moving on. Divorce is never easy. And when children are in the picture, it can be extra tricky, especially when communicating with your ex is a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. FAIR helps eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. In the long run, creating a loving environment for your kids. Here's what you can do on the FAIR app. There's a time-sharing calendar to track custody, exchange days, and never forget those special events. Documentable text messaging and an expense tracker so both parents can add and monitor expenses, track receipts, and add notes. GPS check-in, that's a court-verifiable way to document your presence at all GPS-verified locations. A monthly parenting report to download with your details. A private journal to take notes, add photos, and screenshots. A file vault to keep your records, photos, and documents organized and in one place. The opportunity to export all of your records into a convenient, time-and-date-stamped PDF when you need documentation for legal matters. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. FAIR allows you to experience co-parenting in a totally new way. Simply, inexpensively, transparently, and fairly. Lose the he said, she said, and be the best parent you can be. Be F-A-Y-R, FAIR. Subscribe at BeFair.com. That's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com. And then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. Go to FAIR.com for more details. Don't forget to use the code MICHELLE to save 20% off the cost of the app. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. 
Thanks. Stay strong.